0: everyone? Thank you to our, our worship team and thank you to Matt for giving leadership. Yeah, let's give the Lord a praise offering. It's a great day to worship the Lord, isn't it? We're so blessed to live in Hawaii, uh, enjoying the beautiful weather, the sunshine, the cool breeze. And uh, let's just go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Before we get into his word, our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you that we can gather together to sing praises to your name and to worship you. And thank you, Father, for each person that is here this morning. I pray a special blessing on each one here. I pray a special blessing on each family that's represented as well. I pray, Father, that as we look into your word, that you would help us to uh, put aside any other distracting thought that may come into our minds I pray, Father, that we would allow your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts this morning as we look into your word. We thank you, Lord, because you are a great God, and we love you. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing our sermon series, and the title of the series is called What's Trending? What's Trending? And uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, it was around Halloween time, that we remember, we, uh, we talked about masks that we wear and removing those masks. And those of you who were here that morning, we handed out these little paper masks to each and every one of you. And we talked about removing our masks. We talked about being open and honest with ourselves and open and honest with the Lord and being able to strip off those things that we would kind of put up in front of other people. The image, our reputation what we want people to think about us, and to remove them and to come clean before God. Remember, we had a big mirror up here so that we could look at ourselves and see our true selves for who we are. And we know that we can do that because we can come clean before God and be honest with Him because He loves us in spite of our warts, in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our failures, in spite of our sin. He loves us and He accepts us just the way we are. And so he wants us to remove those masks, and we did that a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, Major Debbie talked about upgrading, how we need to upgrade not just the things that we surround ourselves with, like our clothing or fashion, or we need to upgrade our house, and some of you are upgrading your bathrooms in your house, or about upgrading technology, our phones. She talked a, lot bit, a little bit about that. But to upgrade not just those things, but to upgrade our walk with the Lord so that we would grow deeper in our faith and in our walk with Jesus. So that gets to today. So what's, what's trending today? Anybody? What's going on in the world out there today? Anything? What's that? Election? Wow, you read my mind. Yep. Yeah. You guys read my mind. The election, Right? That's all we've been hearing about lately, right? Now, I'm not going to ask you this morning. I'm not going to ask you who you're going to vote for, so you don't need to tell me. But you know what? We are two days away from Election Day. It's this Tuesday, November 8th. Voters will determine who will be leading our country for the next four years. And so this is the topic that is trending today, and it's been trending for quite a while now. Before I go on, I need to call a little timeout. And I need to do a little commercial here. All right? Don't worry. It's not a political commercial. (laughs) I'm not going to say vote for this person or don't vote for that person. All right? But it's a commercial anyway. And the commercial is to tell you, if you already haven't done so, to go out and vote. All right? We are very blessed. We are very blessed to live in a country that allows us the privilege to vote and elect those who will govern us. So don't squander that. So do you know that there are many countries in the world today where people are not allowed to vote? So this is a wonderful privilege that we have here in America, and it's not only our right as an American citizen, but more importantly, it's our responsibility to vote. Now there may be some of you here today that may be so disgusted at the political climate of this election year. Anybody disgusted? Yeah, a few of you, right? We're disgusted with all the negative campaigning and the rude and the ugly mudslinging that's going back and forth and back and forth. We can't wait until it's all over. And you know what? We may be at an historic low in our country. At no other time in recent memory have both major party candidates been so, what would I say, unsavory or unfavorable in the eyes of many people, and it's true. But I hope that doesn't stop you from voting. And please, if you haven't done so yet, exercise your right to vote. But make sure, make sure you're not voting blindly or haphazardly. Or you're just voting for someone because my cousin said to vote for them. Or you think he looks better than she does, or whatever it may be, because you're making a a decision that can affect our country. And so use good judgment. Use good discernment. Be informed. There's lots of material out there about being being an informed voter. You know, there's an article by um, a gentleman named Wayne Grudem, and he's an He's a theologian, actually, and he was talking about the election, and so let me just quote a couple of sentences from that article that I want to share with you this morning, and here's the quote, here's the quote. He said, since I find both candidates morally objectionable, I am back to the old-fashioned basis on which I have, in which I have usually decided how to vote for my entire life, and that is, whose policies are better? Do I agree more with Trump's policies or with Clinton's, end quote, end quote. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, as we're preparing to vote, whose policies will make our nation better and whose will do damage to our nation on some very important issues, issues like the Supreme Court selections and abortion and religious liberty and sexual orientation regulations, and taxes, and economic growth, and health care, the national security, the threat of terrorism, the status of our military, and the list goes on and on and on. But I would encourage you, if you haven't done so already, to learn more about the issues, the platforms, the policies of each candidate, and then go and vote. It's It's your responsibility. And I can tell you honestly that I already voted. I voted last Friday, so I ticked that off my list. But Tuesday, November 8th, go and vote. All right, end of my commercial. Now let's move on. Now, when we wake up on November 9th, when we wake up on November 9th, when the confetti is all swept away, the election is finally over. What what will we see? What will we see? I'm certain that feelings will be diverse and divided. Those whose candidate won will be ecstatic and hopeful. On the other hand, those whose candidate lost will probably de- be depressed and worried and concerned. But I have a prediction. I have a prediction. And you heard it first here. I know exactly what November 9 will bring. I know exactly. God told me. And you can take this to the bank. This is exactly what will happen on November 9th. November 9th will be another day of God's reign, it will be another day of God's perfect sovereignty, His dominion, His control, His authority. On November 9th, God will still be in charge. On November 9th, God will still be sitting on the throne. On November 9th, God will still manage the affairs of the world. You know, never before, never before, not even once, has God's providence depended on a king or a president or any other ruler. And it won't on November 9th, 2016. Proverbs 21.1, it says this, it says, the Lord, the Lord can control a king's mind as he controls a river. He can direct as he pleases. So whether or not your preferred candidate wins or loses, it's important that we as Christians understand and really remember some of these things that we're going to talk about this morning. You know, it's this time of the year, those of you who have children, you use this time to teach your children about what it means to be an American citizen. They're learning it in school. They're learning about the voting process, the election process, how all that works. They're having like a a little civics lesson, and and they see it unfolding right in front of their eyes. Well, this morning, we're going to have a little civics lesson. But it's not about being an um, American citizen. It's about a civic lesson about What it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. So these are some things that we need to know and understand and maybe just be reminded. Some of you may already know this, but you know we're a forgetful people, so we need to be reminded. So if you have your bulletins, there's an outline on the back, and we're going to try to follow that. And I want to let you know right off the bat, there's going to be a lot of Scripture verses because our Bible is the foundation. These are not my thoughts. These are not my words. It comes straight from the Word of God. And that's what we need to be building our lives on. So if you have your outline, you can follow along. But there's just five simple things that we need to be reminded of as we think about this political season, as we think about our citizenship of being a Christian. And the first thing that we need to understand, that when the election is over, when the election is over, no matter who wins, and who loses, we would do well to, number one, renew our trust in God's sovereignty. We need to renew our trust in God's sovereignty, and that's his his reign, his authority, his control, his rule, because we know God is ultimately in control of all things. That's what the Word of God says. If you look in the Old Testament, if you look in the New Testament, in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, This is what Daniel says about this God. He says, God is the one who changes times and eras, who dethrones one king only to establish another king, who grants wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those with insight. And then in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he said this in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 13. And he says this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Any government, any authority, it's all been established by God, and that's God's sovereignty. And then we see in Matthew chapter 28 where Jesus says this about himself, that Jesus now has the ultimate authority. He says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority, all the power of rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we see in Ephesians, I told you we're going, going quickly through lots of scripture, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is talking about Jesus. Verse 21 and 22, and he says, Now Jesus, he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. You see, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's truly the ruler over all the kings, over all the presidents, over all the rulers of this world. So no matter who is president, no matter who is the king or who is even the dictator or the ruler, God rules over all. He's in control. That's his sovereignty. And because of that, and understanding that as a Christian, we need to trust in God's sovereignty. It's one thing to know about it. It's one thing to study it and try to understand that. But we need to trust in his sovereignty, and that's when the rubber hits the road. Look at this promise, Romans chapter 8, 28. I'm sure many of you have, have, have memorized this verse. And I believe this promise. It says, And we know, and we know for certain, we have great confidence and assurance, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. I know this verse very well. I had to cling to this verse for many months. When I was 18 years old, I was a freshman in college, My father passed away unexpectedly, and I was at a loss. But I knew this verse. I knew that I loved God. I knew that I was called according to his purpose. And so I had to trust him that in his way and in his time, he would work all things together for good out of that horrible time. And he did. And I still cling to that promise today that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And look at the next promise. Romans 8 continues in verse 31. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? What a great promise. With God on my side, I'm already on the winning team. It's God's sovereignty. And then the the next few verses down, verses 38 and 39. It says, nothing... Absolutely nothing. That whole list goes down. It says nothing at all shall separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. If you think about that, no matter what happens, God will always love you. He'll love you with an everlasting love. And just to know that and to trust in his love and to trust in his sovereignty. So no matter what, what rulers or kings or presidents or legislatures may do, whether it's for good or for evil, we are ultimately in God's hands. And those are in great hands to be in. Can you say amen to that? And so we need to renew our trust in God's sovereignty. Renew our trust in His sovereignty. You see, we may know the future, we may not know the future... But we know the one who holds the future in his hands. And so with God's sovereignty giving us both comfort and courage, here's the second point that we need to remember today. We should also, number two, reaffirm our heavenly citizenship. Reaffirm our heavenly citizenship. As Christians, As Christians, our citizenship, our true citizenship is in heaven. Paul declared this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we are citizens of heaven. We're not citizens of this world. Our homeland, our homeland is in heaven. And our passport says the country of origin, it says heaven. And because we're a citizen of heaven, we have all the rights and all the privileges of being a citizen of heaven. If you're a citizen of the United States, you have lots of rights, you have lots of privileges. One of them is the right and the privilege to vote. But as a Christian, we are citizens of heaven, and we have all the rights and all the privileges that God affords us because we're a citizen of the Most High. And then in Ephesians, some more verses, it says... So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So we have, we're fellow citizens with other saints. And we're just, to understand that, we're just pilgrims here on this earth for a little while. 1 Peter verse chapter 2 says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. You see, our real home, some of you may not understand this or realize it, but if you're a Christian, our real home is not here on earth. We're just visiting. We're just passing through. It's like we have a temporary tourist visa while we're here on this earth because we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And we must guard against the love of this world we must guard against the love of this world because we're not of this world. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For this is what this world offers. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And if you look at those three things, it's usually one of those three things that becomes our downfall. If you look at it closely, I usually, put them, I usually call them the three S's. The craving for physical pleasure, I say that's sex. A craving for everything we see, that's silver, that's money. Or a pride in our achievements and possessions, that's success. Those are the things that will grab a hold of us and pull us down. Sex, silver, success. If we don't keep all those things in check, we must guard against the love of this world because this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And because we're just passing through, we need to be aware of becoming too attached to the things of this world. Why? Because because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Then let's move on to the third point. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we should number three: refocus, refocus our primary mission. It's always easy to uh, kind of come out of alignment. Whether it's your car, you go over a few bumps, your car goes out of alignment, and you need to readjust it. We get distracted. We have a goal. We have a mission to accomplish. Many times we get distracted and then we start drifting. We call that, sometimes we call that mission drift. We know that we need to be here and then all of a sudden we just start going off to the right or off to the left. And so every once in a while we need to stop and say, hey, we need to realign ourselves. We're kind of getting off track. And as citizens of heaven, sometimes we get off track. And so we need to refocus. We need to look at what is our primary mission and we need to refocus, and move forward again. And our primary mission as a citizen of heaven, it concerns God. It concerns God and his kingdom. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be given to you as well. But he's saying here, Put his kingdom first. You all to do that, right? You have a million things to do, but you have to prioritize. So you put the most important things up to the top of the list. That's what he's saying. Prioritize. Prioritize. Seek first his kingdom. Our priorities need to be God's priorities. Kingdom priorities. So that's our mission. It concerns God. And then this next portion of Scripture, it's a great portion of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2. And he's talking to us as Christians. And he tells us directly, he says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, the kingdom of God is our primary mission And what is the chief end of man? It's to give glory to God. It's to proclaim the praises of God. Why? Because of his mercy. Because of his grace. So you see, the kingdom of God is our primary mission. And we need to, as Christians, live out the kingdom in our daily lives. And how do we do that? How do we live out the kingdom? Well, we really need to, again, refocus ourselves refocus our efforts on the important things. And the important things are the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave his commands to his disciples and his followers before he ascended into heaven. And that command is true to us today as Christians. It's found in Mark chapter 16. And he said, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The word gospel means good news. He's calling all of us to go and tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he says again in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, and this is the Great Commission, and he says it to all of us as well today. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says to go and make disciples. And you're not going alone. I'm going to be with you. But that's the great commission. And normally we think, well, that's the preacher's job. That's the pastor's job. That's the church's, church staff's job. No. That's all of our commission. Jesus Christ has commissioned each and every one of us If you are a Christian and you claim to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ, he's commissioned every single one of us to preach the gospel, to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ, and to go and disciple, to teach people, to train them. And we want to do that here at our church, particularly. If you want to learn how to disciple someone or to be discipled yourself, to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you come and talk to us. You can talk to me or Major Debbie or Matt, or any of our staff. But we need to do that because that is our mission. That is our mission. And we need to refocus our efforts on that. So the question we need to ask ourselves, are we active? Am I active in disciple-making and telling others about Jesus? Am I as excited about that and energized about that as Someone is excited or energized about their job or about politics or about their sports team. You see, let's refocus. Let's refocus on our primary mission. And then we come to the fourth point. As we go about fulfilling the Great Commission, we should also, number four, this is a little bit tougher for some of us, resolve to give leaders their due. Resolve to give leaders their due. We're in that time of the year, the political season, when we talk about our government leaders, those in authority over us. And what do we owe those in authority? Look at Romans chapter 13, and throughout most of that chapter, it talks a lot about how we as Christians should treat those in authority. But what are some of the things we owe them? The first one is right here, the first few verses. We owe those in authority, and I mean our leaders. It could be our leaders in the government, leaders in our, our workplace, leaders in our schools, our teachers, our administrators, leaders in our workplace, leaders in the home. We're talking about authority. Romans 13, starting with verse 1, says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, which we already established. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. So I said, submit to those in authority. You know, that's not an easy thing for us to do. The authority says, you have to do this. This is the law. I think for most of us, or many of us, our natural inclination is to say, no way. No one's telling me what to do. No one's telling me what to do. We all have that sort of rebellious streak inside us, don't we? I know I do. But what does the Word of God say? It says to submit. Submit to those who are in authority. It's God's will. It's God's command. And it says... We do it for the Lord's sake, and we do it for, so that we have a clear conscience as well. And we need to deal with our own consciences. So what else do we need to give to authority? Our submission? Let's look on in Romans chapter 13, verses 6 and 7. It says we need to give to them, whatever is due them, our taxes, our taxes and our revenue. Verse 6 says pay your taxes too for the same reason. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And as you're paying them, give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Okay? Yes. Says it right there in God's Word. Pay your taxes, give honor and respect to those in authority. That means not speaking evil about those in authority. Not slandering them or maligning their character in public or in anywhere else. That's a tough one. I'm guilty. We talk about our president or our governor or whoever else. We always want to bash them, right? But the word of God says treat them with respect and with honor. Just as we would speak to anyone else, and then the, the final thing we need to give an owe to those in authority are our prayers, yes. our prayers. Yes. First Timothy chapter two, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, "I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them." And then he says here in verse two, "Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority." So that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. So pray. I don't know if you're in the habit of doing it, but pray for all who are in authority. Later on, as we conclude our service, we're going to give an opportunity for you to pray for those who are in leadership and authority. But you know what? These are all God-given duties. These are all God-given responsibilities because we're heavenly citizens. We're citizens of the kingdom of God living in this world today. And so the question is, are we committed to giving our leaders what God expects from us rather than bashing our leaders and speaking badly of those with whom we may disagree politically let us finally, and here's the final point I have this morning, let us be sure as Christians that we resume our role as peacemakers, that we resume our role as peacemakers. You know what? There's not much peace in our land these days. People are at odds with each other. Our country is divided. People are, are, are polarized. Politically, ideologically, even racially, economically, many of our families are fractured as well. Can we, can we as Christians bring people together? Can we bring them together peacefully in a civil fashion? We need to resume our role as peacemakers because we serve the Prince of Peace. Christmas is just around the corner and This is one of my favorite prophecies about Jesus. It's found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And it says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. Only Jesus Christ, our King and Lord, is truly the one hope for peace in our land, in our homes, and in the world. And so we are to be peacemakers. We are to be peacemakers. Jesus said this on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And I want to be called a child of God then I need to be a peacemaker. So how do we become peacemakers? Many ways, but let me just offer you several ways. Matthew 5, 43. Jesus said this on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, we become peacemakers by loving our enemies, by blessing those who hate us. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy? That's what the world tells us. But Jesus says, but I tell you something different love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. How else can we become peacemakers? James chapter 3 says this, by displaying the wisdom that comes from above in our conversations, in our interactions with people, in our public discourses. It says in James three seventeen. but the wisdom from above is first all pure, It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. In our conversations, in our relationships, sow seeds of peace. And then 2 Timothy, the final verse this morning. It says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Are we agents of peace in this world that is so divided and fractured? Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, That is part of our role as a citizen of heaven. Thus ended our Christian civic lesson this morning. But as we close this morning, you know, the freedom to elect our leaders is a wonderful blessing, but there are dangers. For you see, in the euphoria, in the excitement, in the exhilaration, in the thrill of victory, we may neglect the duties of our true citizenship. And in the disappointment and the distress and in the agony of defeat, we may forget the one who is truly in charge. That's Jesus Christ. So come Wednesday morning, when the election is over, whether our candidate wins or whether they lose, let us do these five things. Let us renew our trust in God's sovereignty. Let us reaffirm our heavenly citizenship. Let us refocus our primary mission. Let us resolve to give leaders their due. And let us resume our role as peacemakers. That's what God has called us to do. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. The worship team is going to sing in just a couple of minutes. But I want us to pray this morning. Normally, during this time, we ask if you need prayer for yourself or for any particular concerns you may have, but this morning, I want to do something a little bit different. As we think of this political season, we've been talking about people in authority, whether it's the government or anywhere else, but this morning, just for the next few moments, as the worship team sings, I want you to pray. You can pray at your seat. You can come down to the place of prayer here in the front if you want to, but I want you to pray for our leaders. I want you to pray for our election. I want you to pray for our government. I want you to pray for anybody that you know that's in authority. Pray for them. Lift them up in prayer. Pray that there would be peace in their hearts. And so, as the worship team sings, just for the next few moments, if you want to gather with other people and pray together, you can do that. Or just pray individually. But lift them up in your prayers. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we think about this time of the year, this particular season, we just want to lift our prayers up to you. Father, we pray for those who are in authority, for those who are in power. We know, Lord, that you've placed them there. And so as your word says, Lord, we need to remember them and remember them in our prayers and lift them up to you. So, Father, I pray for them. I pray, Lord, that they would rule and govern with with justice, with mercy, with compassion. I pray, Father, that you would fill their hearts and their minds with peace, the peace that just comes from you and you alone, Father, the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that will guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. I pray, Father, that as they deliberate and make decisions, I pray, Father, that they would seek your will and your way. Lord, we know that you are sovereign, that you are in charge of everything. Sometimes, Lord, we can't see why things happen, but help us, Father, to just continue to trust in you because we know ultimately that you love us with an everlasting love and that you care for us. And we know ultimately, Father, that we are not citizens of this world, but we're citizens of the heavenly kingdom. So, Lord, we thank you for that. So, Father, I continue to pray for those that give leadership to us. Sometimes, Lord, they, wear, they bear a heavy burden. So I pray, Father, that they would turn to you in trust and faith. So, Lord, we thank you again. We pray for the upcoming election. We pray, Father, that your will would be done. We pray for our country with many needs, many challenges, But, Lord, we praise our trust and our faith in you. So thank you again, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be those peacemakers that you want us to be. So we thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. We thank you and we praise you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we pray all of these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen.